morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. We are in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in verse 39, chapter 1, verse 39, and we're going to go all the way to verse 56 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these fine gentlemen will bring one right to your seat. I see a hand over there. Um, pastors are real good at seeing hands that raised up, so I see that hand. God bless you. See that hand? So, uh, just raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to your seat so you can follow along with us. Chapter 1, verse 39 through 56 today. Starting in verse 1, we read, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And in his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. The title of my message this morning is Come and Worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. We thank you for your word. For Holy Spirit, as you reveal things to us, it causes change in our lives. It causes us to draw closer to you and our relationship with you. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together, bless our kids' time together downstairs as they're being taught your word at the same time as well. Even at a young age, help them to come to know you as Lord and as Savior. And Lord, we do pray that for upstairs. If there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again, we pray that you'd touch them especially. They, they, They would see their need for you and give their life to you today. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a situation in your life where someone tells you something absolutely incredible, just absolutely joyous, it's just this is the coolest thing, but then they say, it's a secret. You can't tell anybody. Now I know when both my girls became pregnant, they wanted me to wait until they were 12 weeks pregnant before I could say anything. Come on, a grandpa for the first time and I got to wait 12 weeks before I can say a word. It was, it was horrible. It's the worst. Because you have, you have this great news welling up inside of you and you can't do anything about it. Well, here we have in the remainder of chapter 1, two individuals who have been given some incredible news by the Lord. And the Lord had worked in their lives in such a way, but they couldn't tell anyone. 
One of them couldn't tell because no one would have believed her in the first place. And secondly, to say anything would really risk her own reputation. The other one, the other person couldn't say his good news because he couldn't speak. Because of a lack of faith on his part and because he doubted. Now the two people I'm referring to obviously is Mary and Zacharias. And at the end of chapter 1, we will see that both of them are given the opportunity to express their hearts at their good news. In fact, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. And what comes out from them are these two beautiful songs of praise, two incredible anthems of worship, two outbursts of joy and celebration at this good news that was given to each of them. So we're invited to come and worship with them as they worship the Lord for all that he has done. Now I'm dividing the remainder of this chapter into two studies. We will look at Mary's song this morning, uh, this week. And the next week we're going to look, we're going to look at Zacharias's uh, song. And then the following week it's going to end us on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the birth of Jesus. So we're going to line up our studies through the gospel right in time for Christmas. With that said, with any well-written song... You, you kind of have three makeup of the songs. You have the introduction of the song, the intro. Then you have the verses in the chorus. Then you have the big ending, you know, in the very end. And that's what I'm going to divide our study up this morning. We're going to look at the intro. We're going to look at the verses in the chorus. And then we'll close with the ending. We begin with the intro. Now, as we will see, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, she's going to be doing the intro of her song. She's going to be the vocalist. We last left Mary having just received the good news from Gabriel of what God was doing in her life. She would miraculously conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Messiah. Now, that was incredible news that, that, that Mary really couldn't tell anyone because she wasn't married at that time, just betrothed to Joseph. But upon hearing of Elizabeth's own miraculous conception and her as, as he says, well advanced in years, age, as Zachariah said, uh, she decides she's going to go and visit Elizabeth. So we pick it up now. Look at verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So we begin with the arrival of Mary at Zach's and Liz's house. I say that because they were family. They were related. Verse 36 tells us that Mary and Elizabeth were related, possibly that they were cousins. A couple of things to note here is that as soon as Mary heard the news of what God was doing with her and what God was doing with her cousin Elizabeth, Mary took off. It says that she made haste to the city of Judah. Now let me tell you, that would be no easy trip. She went for some 80 to 100 miles away to visit Elizabeth. Just that excited about what the angel told her about herself and about Elizabeth. And certainly Elizabeth would be the one person she could actually talk to it about because no one else would understand. But they both have this similar experience. They had a lot in common. Both of them had babies that were announced by the mighty angel Gabriel. Both of them would give birth to children who would fulfill Bible prophecy. Elizabeth bore in her womb the greatest prophet the world uh, whatever he, the prophet of the world would ever be in the history of Israel. And Mary bore in her womb the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. Think about, as they get together, what great times they must have had spending time in prayer and rejoicing what God is doing and the sweet fellowship that they had one with another. 
I mean, here you had a young girl at the flower of her youth and the other near, you know, well advanced in, in days, in the end of her days, and they're both meeting together, having that great fellowship, encouraging one another, praying for one another, which shows us we have that same thing too. As we have the Lord in common in our lives, it doesn't matter young or old, rich or poor, we have fellowship one with another, we can pray with one another, we have things in common, not things with the world, but things with, with, with each other. To be able to gather together and have fellowship with one another, uh, have communion together as we'll partake this morning. First John 1.7 tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have Jesus, the light of the world, in common. And that gives us a lot to talk about, a lot to, to praise about. On top of that, we have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in each of us. And that's what we see in this intro with Elizabeth here and Mary. Look at verse 41 now. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Now remember that the angel Gabriel said that this baby, uh, John the Baptist, would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And now here Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, she now has insight and understanding uh, of what God was doing in her life and in the life of Mary. This would be incredible. But you know, when God does great things in your life, the world just doesn't understand. You really can't, hey, God just did this in my life, and, and they look at you like you're nuts. You know, and, and the reason being, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's why we're, we're excited about coming to church and about fellowshipping and singing praise songs to the Lord, and you tell some an unsaved family member, oh, I'm going to church, we're going to sing praises to the Lord. What? Why? Sing a couple songs. What's the big deal? They don't understand the joy, the, the, the fellowship that we have, the, the things of the Spirit of God. Elizabeth does now because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And really, as I said, Elizabeth now sings the intro into our song. Look at verses 42 and 43. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now notice something here. Before Mary even said a word, she walks in the door. You know, she doesn't say anything about Mary being pregnant. She doesn't say anything about the angel Gabriel visiting her. Elizabeth, now filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies with this loud voice proclaiming with excitement, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And it's interesting to note that Elizabeth, in verse 42, used the same exact greeting that Gabriel did in coming to Mary. Blessed are you among women. You know, we noticed, noted last time together that it does say blessed among women, not above women. Nothing in Scripture supports Mary as the object of worship. Nothing in the Scripture supports that she is immaculate, that she was born without sin. Yes, she is highly favored. Yes, she is set apart. There's no other woman like her because of the role that she played. But let me just say this. If you want to honor Mary, then honor the God that she loved and worshipped. If you want to honor Mary, then honor the Christ that she bore as a Savior for her sin and yours. That would honor her more than anything else. Praying to her will not honor her. 
Loving God, being centered on Christ is what brings honor to her. That's what her life was all about. And in this one moment here, through Elizabeth's words to Mary, Elizabeth would bring confirmation to this really young, perhaps frightened girl of the assurance from those last words from Gabriel to her, that it was all true. That's why I think Elizabeth used the same words Gabriel did. Blessed are you among women. And then look at verse 44 and 45. For indeed, she says, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, notice the thing that Elizabeth is emphasizing in, in, is, is Mary's faith in the Lord. She says, blessed is she who believed. So she said, Mary, you believe so much that you traveled 80 to 100 miles just to come here to see me. Mary believed the word of God. She experienced the power of God working in her life. God's power and God's word working hand in hand. Same thing is true for our lives. When we believe the word of God, when we apply it to our lives, the door is open for the power of God to move and work in us. See, not only did Elizabeth rejoice, but we are told that John also rejoiced, which is pretty amazing, since he was still in his mother's womb at only six months along, and, and now he's leaping. In fact, that word for leap in verse 41 and 44, it, it, it's stronger than just a little flutter. You know, though you see your mom that are pregnant, oh, feel, feel the baby kick. It's strong, much stronger than that. This is a supernatural reaction. The word leap means to, to spring up, to, to jump up. Now, I can imagine Luke being a doctor. We talked about that. And he's getting all of his information from eyewitnesses. He, he didn't travel with Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples. He's getting his information from eyewitnesses. And I can just picture him coming to Mary and say, Mary, exactly what happened? So as you walked into the door, what happened? What happened with your cousin Elizabeth? And I can just picture Mary saying, oh, Dr. Luke, this was amazing. As I walked in the room, baby John, still in Elizabeth's womb, he jumped. And we're not talking a little kick. We're talking, you know, not the hand pushing out. We're talking a leap. Man, you should have seen Elizabeth's face. It was amazing. It was great. As I said last week, I think we can all lay to rest finally. The fact that the Bible does not support the so-called pro-choice position. And that life begins at conception, not at birth. Because here is the Lord just conceived, and His presence in the womb of Mary awakens John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth to leap for joy. And already starting to, to get the message out that the Messiah is coming. Everything is just falling into place beautifully. This is all from God. God was moving. God was working. And as I said, and as soon as Elizabeth opens the door to Mary, all of it's confirmed. The secret's out. The good news is known. Well, as a result of that, we come to point number two. It's now time for Mary to sing. We come to the verses and the choruses. And verse 46, Mary now begins with her song. First, she, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Stop there first. Mary begins by bursting forth with praise. And listen, folks, that is the focus on why we worship. To honor and to magnify the Lord from our innermost being, to sing praises of adoration and thankfulness and honor and glorify our King. 
It was G. Campbell Morgan who said this, when Jesus came into the world, poetry expressed itself and music was reborn. I like that. Now what is interesting is that Mary's song is almost entirely composed of quotations from the Old Testament Psalms. I mean, this really gives us some insight into the heart of this young girl. She was the one who loved God's Word. She hid God's Word in her heart. She breaks forth with this worship song, all taken from the Word of God. I've shared this many times. I think some of the best worship songs, praise songs are that, that are out there today are the ones that are taken directly from God's Word, Scripture songs. It's great because this is God's inspired Word and we are proclaiming it as we worship Him. Now, there are two things I want to note about Mary's song as it relates to to the true nature of worship. First, worship involves the soul and the spirit. Again, note in verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So the soul speaks of our mind. It speaks of our emotions. And the spirit is the real you who will live forever. It's our spirit that relates to God. It's a vehicle by which we communicate with God. It's the essence of of where our hearts are at in in relationship to God. See, your spirit is the deepest part of your being. But it's both the soul and the spirit that are essential in worship. See, true worship of God, it needs to be intellectual. That is, we need to know the one in whom we are worshiping and why we are worshiping him, which is all based on the facts that we have learned about God, his nature, his attributes, his character from the word. See, I could not sing, oh, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, his love endures forever, if I didn't know from his word that Psalm 136 says that his love endures forever. I wouldn't know that it's okay for a worship team and that God was well pleased with it to have Musical instruments during worship. Guitars, a horn section, a wind section, even drums, cymbals, and not just any cymbals, but loud clashing cymbals. I would not know that unless I knew what Psalm 150 verse 1 through 5 says. It says there, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty firmament, praise Him for His mighty acts, praise Him according to His excellent greatness, Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with string instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. It's all there. (laughs) Spoken from a true drummer. See, based on the facts that we have learned concerning the nature and the attributes and the character of God, we then can grow in the knowledge of God and then the deeper our worship becomes. You know, when you're first saved, you know, I mean, you're excited. You're saved. You start praising God because of your salvation. And let me tell you, learning to praise God when you first get saved is one of the best things in the world. I mean, to experience praise songs for the first time, you go, wow, this is amazing, you know. But at that point, we really don't have a clear understanding, really, of God's holiness. But over time, we come to see that, that He is holy. He's a righteous God. And that only magnifies His love and His sacrifice to us to in a greater degree. And with each new bit of information concerning who He is and what He's done for, for us, our God gets bigger. And the basis of our worship expands. Does that make sense? See, Mary was given this information that she would be carrying the Messiah. 
she was told that her relative Elizabeth, who previously was barren, would now also be having a baby. But then Mary shows up on Elizabeth's door. She sees Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Now it confirms to her what the angel Gabriel said to her. Because again, if Elizabeth wasn't pregnant, then Mary might go, I must be delusional. What really happened to me then? But she was pregnant. That meant that Mary was too. And if anyone on earth could relate to the supernatural pregnancy, it would have been Elizabeth. And so as a result of more information, Mary's song in her heart has changed. See, back in verse 38, upon hearing the news of her carrying the Messiah, her song was, let it be. <laughs> Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. According to your word, let it be. I don't know if there was a tune to it, but but the song changes. Because in verse 46, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Through more information about how incredible God is, and how awesome and true His promises are, Mary's worship turns even deeper, proclaiming God's attributes in song, verse after verse after verse. You see that the song in her heart has expanded. It's changed. Many of your Bibles may have above this section the title, The Magnificent, over Mary's song. I've often wondered, where did that word come from? It turns out to have a very simple answer. In the Latin text of the Bible, the first word of Mary's song is glorifies, as in glorifies the Lord, my soul does. Glorifies in Latin is magnificent. And that's why they call it that. You see, again, with more information concerning who God is and what He has done, our God gets bigger and bigger and our worship expands and grows deeper and deeper. Now, this is also true when we experience God's grace in our lives as well. You know, maybe you, you've blown it this past week and, and, and you, you kind of lost your temper, whatever area in life that you blew it in and you knew you blew it and you just cried out to the Lord and you confessed it to Him and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I blew it. You asked Him for His forgiveness and God does forgive you because He's so gracious to you. Then you come to church and you start singing a song about God's grace. And all of a sudden it just means so much more to you. Because I just, oh, I just experienced His grace. Oh, it just God, you're so good. Or maybe God has brought you through this heavy trial and He's protected you and you're looking back on the whole thing and you're going, God, you know what? All my life you protected me. All my life you've been there for me. All my life, God, you've been faithful. And you walk in the church and we sing the goodness of God, which says, and all my life you've been faithful, all my life you've been so good, with every breath I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And now the tears are running down your face. Because it just affects your emotion, affects who you are. That happens because worship doesn't just involve our intellect. It involves our emotions. In fact, the word worship here in the Greek is proskuno, which means to turn and kiss. So as we enter into worship, we turn all our love and all our affection on display towards our God for all He's done for us. But without emotion, without feeling, without that passion, it's just words on a screen. You know, just, just, just any old song, it's just liturgy. There's not much of a relationship there. I mean, imagine for a moment if your mar- marriage was like that without any emotion. So I don't have to imagine my marriage is like that. I hope not, but it shouldn't be. But imagine if it was. Imagine if your husband never held you, never kissed you, no, no affection whatsoever. Or how you would have responded if your husband would have come to you before you were married, 
in a purely intellectual manner proposing to you. Now, Lisa, I've calculated the mathematical possibilities of our union being to last well into the millennium. And I've studied our ancestral data, both our families as well as our social and economic backgrounds of our families. I've done a compatibility study. What I've concluded is that we have an 80% chance of having a healthy relationship. So I think based on that, we should get married. What do you think? Should we go for it? Should say, get lost. Are you nuts? Your figures are all wrong. Because <laughs> there has to be a balance of love and emotion with information. And yes, there are aspects of the relationship that are on an intellectual plane in any relationship. That's why communication is so important. So important. Because you learn more and more about each other. And after you've been married for 10 years, you better know more about your wife than you did on your first date. Well, the same thing is true with our walks with the Lord. It's not all knowledge and information. Yeah, God wants us to continue to get to know Him more and more. And as a result of knowing Him more and more, you love Him more and more. And you sing forth bursts of praise because of who He is. I always love the way Pastor Bruce, when he prays, when he teaches here, he says, oh, to know him better, to love him more, to walk in his ways, to become more like Jesus. And that's a work of God in our lives. And just, we just love him more. So true worship involves the soul, the mind, the emotions, but also the spirit. Again, verse 47, Mary says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Listen. Any man or any woman whose life has been truly touched by God is going to be a worshiper. From the very depths of the core of our beings will be this overwhelming desire to express with our minds and our emotions our love for God, our thankfulness to Him for all that He's done. And as we contemplate all that God has done for us, from the innermost depths of our hearts should birth forth praise and worship where our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, I praise you, I worship you. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So worship involves the soul and the spirit. But secondly, we worship for a reason. There's a reason why we worship. What is the reason why we worship the Lord? There's so many but the number one reason we worship the Lord is because He deserves it. He is worthy of all of our praise. You know, the English pronunciation of the word worship was worth-ship. Worth means to apply worth to someone, and ship is an old English word that speaks of power, position, office, and skill. So worth-ship means to assign worth, honor, praise, and glory to the one who is worthy and the one who is valued. Psalm 96, 8 and 9 tells us, give to, the glo- give to the Lord the glory, do His name. Bring an offering and come to His, his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And that's Mary's heart here. This is why she's singing before the Lord all that God has done in her heart. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And again, <laughs> We touched on this already. She calls God her Savior. God, my Savior. You see, Mary is calling Jesus her Savior. So she recognizes that she needs salvation. Someone who has a Savior needed to be saved. 
Why else do we worship? Well, Mary tells us. Look at verse 48 through 50. We worship him for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy in his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary begins by really seeing herself how she really is. She says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. No, we worship the Lord for the same reason. Not because of who we are, not because of anything special we did, but because of God, because of who he is. Here Mary calls herself God's lowly maidservant. Recall last week we looked at Gabriel saying to Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. In other words, rejoice, one who's about to be overflowed with God's grace. And Mary's response was, Who, me? Are you sure you have the right house? Are you sure you have the right person? Because she didn't look at herself as deserving of God's favor or grace upon her life. Which none of us are. But that's what grace is all about. You know, and grace always works the same way. When grace is poured upon our lives, it results in humility. Oh Lord, I'm not worthy. God, you're so good. You saved me. Oh, you're so good. And that's the way Mary is looking at herself as the lowly state of his maidservant, undeserving. We don't deserve salvation. Nothing you can do to earn it. Just receive it by faith through grace. And when you do, it humbles ourselves. Because we see what God did for us upon the cross. It causes us to praise Him. And that's what we see with Mary. She begins to celebrate God in the rest of this song here. Verse 49, she focuses on the nature of God and His past dealing with Israel. She says in verse 49 that God is holy. She says, for He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. She says in verse 50 that He's merciful. His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. You know, mercy is the opposite of grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve hell because of our rebellion towards God, rebellion in His ways. Yet, yet God, from generation to generation, has been so merciful to those who would turn from their sin, to those who would fear Him. You know, the Old Testament system God had set up was a sacrificial system of worship. So that by substituting the spotless lamb, the person could receive atonement or be covered for their sins. And from generation to generation, uh, Mary says here, God has continued to show mercy. But now, now he's about to display his most radical act of mercy by sending his son, his only begotten son. Not as a judge who condemned the world, but as a lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. See, he was going to be the final sacrificial lamb, not just to provide a covering, but complete atonement. No, the, the Old Testament, again, the, the atonement meant the covering by blood. But in the New Testament, atonement is a little bit different. You can break it apart to mean at one mint. In other words, we are made at one with God. But it's a personal decision that each person has to make. To come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry for my sin. I give my life to you. Forgive me. Or thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for rising again from the dead. I want to be made right with you. I want to be made whole with you. And God says, when you do that, that will happen. You'll have atonement. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Or Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he's removed our transgression from us. 
Well, the next thing that Mary mentions here is God's strength and compassion. And really brings us to our third point and our third part in the song, the ending. Because it's building and building and building to this final crescendo. You know, it's kind of like the Hallelujah Chorus. And he shall reign for it. And it's just this big time of praise. And that's what we see here. Look at verse 51 through 56. Mary just proclaims the goodness of God. She says, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Probably until the time that John was born. She was there when John was six. She was pregnant. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Now she was there three months, nine months. Baby's born. There's a movie coming out in February called The Jesus Revolution. It goes back to the late 60s, early 70s. The, the, really, the history of the Jesus movement. A lot of the hippies were getting saved and they're all you know coming to church. It kind of goes back to the history of Calvary Chapel and and Chuck Smith and and. Uh, but at that time. Uh, Time Magazine did a cover story of it, and on the cover had this, the title that said, Jesus Revolution. And it showed just a lot of these, these hippies being baptized. It was just, it, it was a great revival in our country. And I pray that before the Lord comes back, one more great revival would be absolutely awesome. But here we're seeing Mary speaking of a revolution that God has done. Something amazing that God has done. Five different things that she built up in her ending. First of all, verse 51, speaking of what God has done, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. I pray, Lord, do that again. Scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So Jesus said, in the last days, the days would be like in the days of Noah. Well, if you ever read Genesis 6, 5, it tells us what those days were like. It says there that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. If that doesn't describe the days in which we're living in, I do not know. And the flood came and wiped out all the wickedness. And I do believe the Lord is about to do it again, especially when you look around and you see the pride and you see the wickedness that's in our world today. Second verse, speaking about what God has done, verse 52, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. You know, when Jesus returns, he's going to do that especially. Verse 53, he is filled with the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He's our provider. He's our help in time of need. Fourthly, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And number five, verse 55, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Remember, God made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 22:17 and 18, when God said this, Blessings I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed, speaking of Jesus, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And that's what Mary is talking about here. See, Mary is going back through all of history, all the way to Abraham, and she's remembering the activity of God, the, the revolution of God from generation to generation. And her song is a celebration about what God has done in the past. Totally excited about what God is about to do in her life for the future. 
Because in these closing verses of all that God has done, it's also a picture about what God is about to do through His Son. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Think about when Jesus would come face to face with the, the Pharisees, these prideful religious rulers. He would say things that, that you'd read in Scripture that says, uh, because He knew what they were thinking, and He would say, and it would just blow their minds. And what would they do? They would scatter. They would leave. They would go away. He would confuse them. Verse 52 says, He has put down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. Jesus would do that as He grew in His ministry. Those who are full of pride, knocking those down, helping up those who are lowly. I think of the woman caught in adultery. And the religious rulers brought her before Jesus and said, Oh, scriptures say, we should stone her, we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus kind of looked at them and looked at this woman and, and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And the Bible says they walked away one by one from the oldest to the last. And then Jesus came to that lowly woman and said, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I picture Jesus reaching down, picking her up, helping her up, helping the lowly come up, get up. And that's what he did. That's what he would do. Verse 52, he has put down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Matthew 14, Matthew 15, Jesus fed 4,000 people plus, 5,000 people plus. I think of the rich young ruler. He went away empty because he refused to surrender his life to the Lord. See, Mary's song of celebration was of the past acts of God, but a future what God would do with this son through this baby in her. And through Mary's song, we see that true worship involves, again, the soul and the spirit, because true worship is a celebration as we celebrate who God is, what God has done, and what God is going to do. G. Campbell Morgan has said this, here, Mary set forth all the glories of the God of her fathers, His holiness and His mercy, His strength and His faithfulness, His compassion. By that inward sign, the newborn life within her, she knew the holiness of God, she knew the mercy of God, she knew the might of God, she knew the faithfulness of God, and she knew the compassion of God. And that's why she worships the Lord so beautifully here. We're going to close a little bit early this morning as we uh, end our time of communion and really giving our hearts a, a chance to, to praise and worship the Lord. And, and, you know, we're told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, God who at various times and various ways spoke and passed to the fathers by the prophets, Hebrews 1, 1. In other words, in times past, God spoke through the prophets, but there were some 400 years of silence. 400 years of not hearing a single prophetic voice. But now God was about to speak in a way that was more powerful than anyone could imagine. Verse 2 of Hebrews says that, but God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. God would, in the most clearest way possible, reveal His heart, His character, His mind, His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, John writes in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is one of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, all that Mary proclaimed about God's past dealings with her people was about to be displayed through this child she was carrying. Hebrews goes on to say in verse 2 that God appointed Jesus, heir of all things, 
through whom all also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all the things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See that verse there, we see the holiness of God coupled with his mercy through Jesus Christ as Jesus would provide man's complete forgiveness of sin. He would provide salvation there on the work of the cross. He had by himself purged our sins, he says. I mean, isn't that something to sing about? If it's not, then I don't know what is. Rejoice, as Mary said. Rejoice in God, my Savior. And communion is a time of rejoicing. Communion is a time of celebrating. I think of Mary and Elizabeth. When they got together, they rejoiced. They celebrated over the Lord what the Lord was doing. They had fellowship together. They had communion together. And as we gather together, we can rejoice. We can celebrate about what God is doing. Jesus is coming back. You look at the signs and the times in which we're living. There's nothing left to happen that Jesus can't come for his church right now. So we should be celebrating. We should be rejoicing what Jesus did for us upon the cross and what he's about to do when he takes us home to be with him in heaven. In fact, that's what Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians. You know, we, we take the bread and we, we, we take the cup. We do this in remembrance of him until he comes again. So what I want to do is as we pray, I want to just, just sing praises to our Lord, thankful for what he's done. We'll partake of communion, just rejoice in the Lord. But let me say this. If you're not a believer here this morning, there, there is no fellowship that we can have. You have to be able to, to give your life, to come to that place in your life where you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. You want to be saved today and say, Lord, forgive me. You have to accept the Lord as your Savior. Receive that forgiveness. Yeah, Jesus went to the cross. He died for your sin. He died for the sins of the world. But unless you confess, I'm a sinner, I need your forgiveness, and apply what he did to your life, you're still lost. You need to come to him. You need to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you're not saved this morning, I encourage you, get saved and then receive communion with us. Have fellowship with us. If you say, well, I'm not ready yet, then just let the, the, the elements pass by. We'll pass them all out together, but we'll take the bread and the juice separately and pray together separately. But, but, but if you're not a believer and you said, I just need to wait, then just let it pass. The Bible speaks about judgment coming upon you um, if you take this unworthily. But the greater, your greater need is to come to the Lord, to give your life to Him. I said second service, if you don't accept the Lord, you're just dumb, okay? It's just, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that in the service before, so I use it second service. It's true. Why would you not? Look at all that God has done for you. So let's pray and enter into communion. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to cry out to you, to say, Lord, save me. I need your forgiveness. That they would do so right now. That they wouldn't wait another moment. That they would give their hearts and life to you this morning. Just simply pray the prayer. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I give my life to you now. And God will come in and God will do that work in your heart and in your life. And Lord, we pray now as we can enter into this time of worship. We can look to what you did for us upon the cross. Lord, in our hearts can just sing forth in praise and honor and worship for how great you are and the work that you did on our lives. We are saved. We are going to heaven. Our sin has been forgiven. Lord, 
we rejoice in the work that you have done. We are undeserving. We are your lowly servants. We don't deserve your grace to be poured out upon us any more than Mary did. That's all you. All of it is you. And all we can do is thank you and praise you and honor you with our lips, with our minds, with our hearts, with our emotions, with our passions, with our song. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.